0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Welcome, everybody. So glad to see you all. Um, I have a question. Is anyone here, I know some of you may have um, been to Curcio. Yep? Anyone? Okay. So one thing that I love that they do on that weekend is always um, invoke the Holy Spirit. And I've come to realize in my personal life that I'm... Um, I can't, there's a lot of scripture I don't understand um, without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like y'all to join me in a prayer right there. Um, Together, can we say this? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Grant us understanding of your Holy Scripture that we may be blessed to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sorry yes it's recording (laughs) um okay so um, i'm going to start with a personal note um, before we get into tamar Um, i was raised in a church with a pretty high anthropology i don't know if you all know what that means but basically i felt like um, you had to meet certain standards in order for god to accept you and i felt like a hopeless case so i walked away from religion um, in my teenage years for a long time but 22 years ago, um, in this church, I heard the gospel of grace, and it profoundly changed my life. Um, so, it led me to say yes to Leslie um, to be involved with this class um, series, because um, what we see uh, are a series of women who are unloved, unlucky, and unlikely people to be used in God's um, in his amazing story. And um, today, we're going to be looking at Tamar and I subtitled it an illustration of God's redemption of a tangled web of sin. Um, I I, I did want to reference before we get into all of this, that um, speaking of anthropology, um, David Zoll will be doing a um, book signing this Thursday, I believe, um, and his new book is called Low Anthropology. And and this series actually illustrates the Low Anthropology of the Bible, um, which is great news for us. Um, We have a creator who displays grace and mercy, through his readiness to forgive his wayward people. And the ultimate evidence of this, of course, is the crucifixion and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read you a little quote from David about about his book. And he says, by editing out the less savory stuff about our humanity, we also snuff out solidarity, empathy, and vulnerability. We snuff out love, humor too. All of a sudden, we think we're the only ones with problems, the only one who doesn't belong. One of the most powerful things to me about scripture is how God repeatedly uses the least and lowliest to accomplish his purposes. So, with that, we're going to jump into Tamar. If you were at the previous classes, you might have seen this genealogy from Matthew. Um, There are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the exile um, to the birth of Christ. I think it's interesting in this genealogy that um, only five women are named. Um, Tamar, who we'll talk about today. Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba, and then, of course, Mary. Um, And I've highlighted here um, Judah, um, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. You'll see that they will have twins. So, um, we have the um, 12 tribes of Israel, um, and... This is going back to Carolyn's class last week. I want to talk a little bit about that because that's how we arrive at our story today. So, um, Leslie referred to, I think, in her introduction, um, marital irregularities that might have happened in the Bible along the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly, Jacob was a great example of that, um, between the sisters Leah and Rachel. Um, but by Leah, he had, um, he had, um, these are his children by Leah, and the fourth of his, of his offspring by Leah was named Judah. And what we see um, with Judah is that Leah had been desperate for um, Jacob's affection. And each time she was blessed with a child, she turned her prayers and attention toward Judah. But it wasn't until, I mean, toward Jacob, excuse me. But when Judah was born, she finally um, turned her attention in, uh, toward the Lord. And she praised him for his provision in her life. So we see in Leah's life, as Carolyn so beautifully taught last week, a progression from being unloved to being, un- to being affirmed. And, um, and her situation is ultimately redeemed. So um, we now have, um, in, we're now in Genesis um, 38, and I'm gonna read this, y'all can read along too. So Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground so that he should not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah my son grows up for he feared that he too will die like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. So this section of the um of scripture is right in between the story of Joseph. It's a really interesting placement because you've got basically uh we're now we've left Joseph in in Egypt and there's this strange little it's called the Judah interlude story about about Judah and Tamar and um I want to show, I want to, um, so I'm going to recap what has just happened in that scripture. So Judah marries a Canaanite woman named Shua and they have three boys. Um, he finds Tamar, he promises her and she marries Ur, who was wicked in the sight of the Lord. We're not told why or what it was about him that was wicked. They did not have children. So, um, there's a, there's a system called liverite marriage, which is a custom that operates on the assumption that the family as a whole is responsible for ensuring the continuity um, of the line of the dead relative so in this case your brother would take on your um your the, your brother's your late brother's wife and um and then in refusal to do so would be considered inexcusable so uh error dies and then the second son onan is um, is married to tamar but he refused the, his duty because he did not want to carry on his brother's line so he, uh, they also had no offspring and um, he was also um, struck dead. So there's the third son who at this point was too young to be married. So Judah promises that when he's of age he will give um, a Tamar to, to Shelah but he had no intention of fulfilling the promise because he was concerned that this woman was a bad, was a bad egg because both of his um, other older sons had died. So I'm going to now paraphrase, I didn't want to read the entire thing because it was rather long, but um, this is when things get a little bit saucy. So um, Tamar is languishing in her father's home. Um, She's no longer part of his care because um, she's now part of Judah's family. Um, And so she takes matters into her own hands when she realizes that Shelah is in fact now of age and he's not being given to her. So she hears that Judah will be at a sheep shearing festival, which in those times were kind of like, think like Bonnaroo or Coachella, like (laughs) opportunities for some bad behavior, and um, licentious behavior, in fact. So she um, disguises herself as a prostitute, and succeeds in seducing him and trading sex with him for a goat from his flock. And to secure the deal with him, she asks for and receives um, his signet, cord, and staff which would be returned when he delivers the goat to her. So that was a typical thing in those days that you know, when you made a promise, then you would kind of um, insure it with something of your a possession of yours, and then you get it back when you fulfilled the promise. So she's got what she needs, and she disappears, having gotten uh, all she needs to prove his paternity. So now we're going to look at what happens after that about three months later judah was told tamar your daughter-in-law has played the harlot and moreover she is with child by harlotry and judah said bring her out and let her be burned remember he is part of his property now so he has he has the right to say that um as she was being brought out she sent word to her father-in-law by the man to whom these belong i am with child and she said, "Mark, I pray you, whose these are—the signet and the cord and the staff." Then Judah acknowledged them and said, "She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not lie with her again." So, very interesting little twist there. Um, I think it's interesting to see Judah's righteous indignation um, over her prostitution, given that uh, even though he didn't know who she was. Um, and then his contrite reaction upon the revelation that that he was her customer. Um, And it it goes on to, like later in the Bible, you you do see Judah having a little bit more um, humility. Um, So, Tamar gives birth to twins, one of whom is named Perez, and he will be a forefather of Jesus Christ. Um, An interesting side note on this birth is that one of the, you know, birth order was super important in those days. And one of the twins put a hand out during the birth process and then, and a midwife tied a scarlet thread around it to signify that that was going to be the, that's the firstborn. But he pulled the arm back in and the other baby was born first, which was Perez. And his name means breach. Um, does that remind anyone of another set of twins that were messing around with the birth order? Mm-hmm. So um, it looks like Perez uh, maybe inherited something from his grandfather, Jacob. Um, And then this is a quote that Leslie sent that I think is really interesting um, from a book called Women of God um, by Kathleen Nielsen. In the Bible, we discern a pattern, a pattern of unlikely births. It is a pattern of children born when the effects of the fall have been painfully evident. It's a pattern that points toward one child born of a most unlikely woman, a virgin. God has always been directing the pattern of history from creation. Even through the fall, and always for his redeeming purposes, and those purposes have been consistently and intricately tied up with childbirth. So it's interesting how God's provision is so counterintuitive. You would think a child like Perez, born out of prostitution and incest, um, he uses that in the messianic line. Not just he doesn't just sort of say that you know that's okay, but he actually uses it for one of his his highest purposes, and. Um, you may be wondering, um, as I have, about how God struck down two of Judah's sons for wickedness. And you kind of think, well, what Tamar did, was that not wicked as well? Um, I think there's so many things in the Bible that we just can't understand. But, um, but I do love this quote from Romans. What then are we to say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. so it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who shows mercy and that points also to this concept of the low anthropology that it's not it's, it's not a performance based um, love that god God has for us, and even in spite of the most um, incredible in our mind um, acts of um, treachery and um behavior that he is able to redeem through that and for me personally that gives me tremendous hope and um, comfort that it is not about me Mm -hmm. and what I do but it is about him and for that I'm eternally grateful and that was your speed course (laughs) on (laughs) Tamar but I did want to see if anybody has any questions or thoughts about this story or Carolyn's here who taught last week and anything that um, you might have around this crazy story? Yes, that, that, that's, that's that's what I read as well, that he, um, that when, when she called him out on, and it, that reminds me also of, um, of David with Bathsheba, but that's for next week, um, <laughs> two weeks. But yes, it seems like he, um, this was, uh, you know, he, the mirror was put up to his face and he had to recognize, who he was and his culpability, and then I think he w- was able to move into the rest of his life with a more, um, you know, humble attitude. And I-, I did want to say also there is another Tamar in the Bible. She ha- she comes into play around the time of David, so don't confuse the two. That's generations later. Um, I want to. Um, sorry, it's short, y'all. That was a speed lesson. That's kind of how I, how I roll. <laughs> I, mean, I was
1: thinking, you know, about that in God's mercy, um, you know, the situation that most of these women are in is so untenable. You know, I mean, it's like, yes, you know, Kmart did a really good kind of thing, but, you know, the whole deal with this not having a husband, right. well, that, was, that was life. I mean, right. you had nothing Right. if you didn't have a so, you know, we see these women repeatedly in
0: these just terrible situations. Yeah,
1: like, yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about what um, Ben said in his sermon about, you know, when we find ourselves in, well, you don't know yet. You haven't gotten to go yet. But uh, yeah. <laughs> when we find ourselves in the, you know, we do whatever to get out. Right. Um,
0: Desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
1: mean, it wasn't right, but it was a death sentence. Right. That, that Judah was giving her. Right. if she didn't have a husband or a son. There was no one to provide for her. Right. And so, you know, um, she, in a very dramatic way, pointed out his sin right. by not giving
0: her to his son. Right. Because he wasn't trusting. And, and he, he was thinking his children were just fine. It was her problem. Right. It was not. Right. Yeah, it's that's, and it's, it's interesting that, um, and I've, I've, I was thinking about, you know, she's never condemned for what she does by, by God, and, and in a way, she was she was she was taking matters in her own hands. She was fulfilling what the law required. That she was doing that, so she wasn't really breaking the law by doing what she did. I mean, we can think it sounds tawdry, but um, so I, I, I thought that was really interesting that she. And then we don't hear from her again. That's it. But End of the story. And then Perez goes on. Yeah, Precy. Well, I've
1: been thinking about um, what it says about God's mercy. Recently, I have had a a revelation about how cool it is that God sees our heart. And not only does he have mercy on who he has mercy for, but he knows what's underneath, what's underneath, what's underneath, what's underneath, even the motives for our actions. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think with Ur and even Shayla, who I think wasn't punished for his his actions, Mm -hmm. God sees underneath
1: all of that to the heart of the matter that we will never see. Right. And I think that... The Mercy that God has on whom He has mercy for to me is comforting. What I see, even in the actions of people, God sees so much deeper in, mm-hmm. in an amazing way that we don't, we don't have to
0: do anything. Or worry, yeah, you have to worry about it. Okay. It's pretty, I mean, to me, that's incredibly comforting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and yet, I would add that His mercy is not contingent upon right. us mm-hmm. because as. Paul also says in Romans, there's no one who is
0: righteous. Right. So, I, you know, I think even our motives, even if they're quote-unquote good, they're corrupted by sin. Right. Um, and rather, I think
1: what we find, it's interesting, the first time that God explains his character, like the first time he gives his name is to Moses, but then the first time he gives, like, what does his name mean? Is in Exodus after the golden calf. Says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, is mm-hmm. compassionate, sort of anger, abounding in faithful love and mercy. Mm-hmm. So that's just who He is, right? And so, the you know, we are recipients, right, of His love and mercy, um, and yet He will also judge, as He says, according to um, our sin. Yep. But yeah. It's it's contingent upon who he is. And his grief,
0: he's a Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's not that he chooses me. It's, it's, it's the nature of who he is. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Do you remember when Jesus went through
1: Samaritan? Yes. And they came to control water? Yep. Every, man, every person that she had been encounter with, they wanted something from her.
0: Right. She
1: had to give them something. Oh, no, all the, but when Jesus came, he didn't take them. No. He gave her
0: everything. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes.
1: Could you
0: do a recap of what happened with the twins? Oh, yes. Just just share that again. Yes. Okay, so um, she was giving birth uh-huh. and the, the custom in those days is the first you know, the first part of the baby that came out, that was the firstborn, the first one to hit the air, right? Mm-hmm. So a an arm came out. Of, of her, and they tied a, a string around it, because I guess it was common also for maybe that, you know, out, and um, and then the baby receded back into the womb, and then the other twin was born. So technically, the second born wow. took the place of the first born, and that was Perez, who would become a forefather of Jesus. And then the brother is interesting, the brother is mentioned in the genealogy, which is interesting to me, um, but... I'm not sure why. I mean, um, maybe because he was a twin.
1: That's what I, that's what I was interested in.
0: I have a twin. Oh, do you? Okay. I was I was interested in
1: uh, what happened to the boys. I know, okay, so the one who was born first, actually, without the strength,
0: right. received right.
1: the inheritance of the firstborn. Well, it, I mean, it, it, he's, he, he received
0: the blessing of being in the Messianic line. And, um, you know, back in those days, the, that that was, you know, obviously from an inheritance and family asset standpoint, the firstborn was the, everybody past that was kind of chopped liver.
1: You know, this is a, a minor, minor, minor observation, but it seems to be the way um, God does from time to time. Um, so Judas lost two sons. Um, had he not repented and uh, seen his own sin in this and had her burned, those two sons would have been replaced, but uh, what she was carrying was the two sons. Right. Oh, that's right. Oh. That's a cool
0: observation. Yeah. Oh. Love that. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Don. Anyone else? So um, I love looking through the... Um, Book of Common Prayer. Okay. I hey, had one other yes. thing, and that was
1: just how I love um, uh, Jacob's uh, blessing to Judah. That, in line with everything else, Je- um, Jacob also noticed the change in Judah. Yep. He's the fourth son, and he's the one that the line goes through. Right.
0: Yeah, it could have been. It could have been any of them out of right. twelve. Thanks, Rita.
1: Well, it should have
0: been Ruth, yeah. you know, yeah. if you go by. But, right. he was right. the first one. Right. Yeah. But again, <laughs> God subverts things. That's right. So I was going to say, um, I love going through the Book of Common Prayer and looking for um, interesting blessings and colics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wanted to read this um, with you guys to close. I'm sorry it's so short, you guys. I just tend to speed through things. Um, Okay. So let's pray. Oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.